0: So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as, for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's verses 12 through 17 of Psalm 90, which along with Psalm 87 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, May the 15th, 2021. Thank you for being here today and being with me. This is Faith Seeking Understanding, and my name is John Green, and I'm your host. So we're looking today, we're continuing in the book of Ezekiel, Hebrews, and the gospel according to Luke. That Ezekiel passage continuing. Remember, Ezekiel has been taken up in the Spirit into heaven, and he is hearing a voice. He's getting a commission from God to go and speak to a rebellious people in Israel. <clears throat> and God is is telling him, he had remember he had to eat the scroll yesterday was where we were with that passage. He he had to eat the scroll that God gave him, and it was sweet in his mouth. Every time uh, that you see such a thing happen in Scripture, what you can bet is that it's going to be sweet in the mouth, and then it's going to be bitter in the stomach, because there's multiple places where God has his prophets do that very thing in eating that scroll. So here we have with Ezekiel, he's being told, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. And, and then he says, you're not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you can't understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So God has tried and tried to speak to his people, and he will try again and again to speak to his people, get their attention, call them to repentance, call them back to him. And He has to use difficult means sometimes to do that. He sends the prophets ahead because he says that he never does anything without telling the prophets first. So the prophets come and they speak the word. He sends the prophets. They reject that word. I've certainly been around places where prophets have been sent and prophets have been sent to call people to repentance and and the church wouldn't repent. And so God had to reform the church. I believe we're going through a period of that right now, to be perfectly honest with you. If you see the, the people who have been important parts of the church, to, at, at which churches people have flocked to, that are now having worship leaders and uh, other kinds of leaders in those churches basically say, you know, I don't really believe any of this. God's purifying his church. This is a season of purification for the church, in my mind, uh, because we've seen some significant leaders fall. And it has nothing to do, in some cases, it has nothing to do with their teaching. It has to do with their moral lives. But God wants a church with his heart, and he wants his leaders to be people with his heart. But not just his heart, he wants their lives. He wants their lives to be examples for the people. And so what's hidden, he's revealing right now. And and it's not pleasant to see this thing. You see Christian leaders who are falling Right now, you've seen it all the time, but but it seems like it's a little bit more um, prevalent right now, And, and it's not a good feeling. It's not a good thing for the church to see that, but at the same time, we're never to rejoice over this. What we're supposed to do, though, is fall on our faces and repent as well, because we are not pure either and so it's a time when God's cleaning out his church he's cleaning out the leadership of his church including people who have been basically Christian celebrities who are being brought low right now for moral failures or for their um, teaching failures their theological failures and so it's difficult to call the church to repent. That's the honest truth. The people of God resist the Holy Spirit in repentance more than um, more than pagans do, to be honest with you. And I know that because I'm one of those people, and I know that it's harder to get our attention. And so he's going to send them there, and he says they have hard foreheads and stubborn hearts, but don't worry about that because I've made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads, like Emory, harder than Flint have I made your forehead? Fear them not, nor be dismayed of their looks, for they're a rebellious house. And that's a difficult thing. It's, it's, we don't want to become those people, right? We don't want to be hard of heart. We don't want to, to be those people who confront everything, whose lives are built around confronting things, but truth matters. And so that's what God's doing is he's, he's giving Ezekiel a ministry where he is responsible for the truth. He's not responsible for the reaction of the people to that truth, but he's responsible for truth. And it's difficult to be rejected. It's difficult to, to live that kind of life. And so God has to do something in him, in Ezekiel, to make this happen. Abraham Joshua Heschel, wrote an excellent book about the prophets and, and what it takes to be a prophet. And, and the role of a prophet, according to Heschel, and I believe he's exactly right about this, is, is that um, the role of the prophet is to plead the case of God before the people. And so he's got to have a heart for God. He's got to see things God's way. And that's the point of eating the scroll, because the, the, the taste of that is sweet in the mouth because it's the word of God. But then the problem is, is that, that it speaks a word against us, and it turns bitter in the stomach. But at the same time, he's got to have the perspective of God regarding sin. And so, so that's the first role of the prophet, is to represent God to the people. And so he's got to have the righteous indignation that God has towards sin. And he's got to have that same intolerance towards sin that God has. That that's an important thing. He has to be God's voice and he has to then express that appropriately as well. And then the other thing that he has to have is he has to have a heart for the people. His desire has to be for them to repent because he is one of them. And so it's his desire to see the people reconciled to God. He can't just be the scold. His ultimate aim and desire has to be that these people would be convicted by my words and that they would return by repentance to that relationship with God, and they'd be reconciled to him. So he sends him out, and he says, go to the exiles, to your people. I mean, remember, that's the other thing. These people are an exile people. They're in Babylon. So they're already suffering because of God's judgment against them. And he says, go to them and say, thus says the Lord, whether they hear or refuse to hear. And the spirit lifted him up and he hears this voice of an earthquake and it says, blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. He says, it was the sound of the wings of the living creatures that they touched one another and the sounds of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. And the spirit took him up and led him away and he went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv. They were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. And so that's this 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 sense of the prophet aligning himself with God, but also aligning himself with the people. He's an in, in-betwixt and in-between person. He represents God to the people and the people to God. And so he has to come and give this word with compassion but with all the anger of God on sin at the same time. And so he sits among them seven days overwhelmed. How do you speak thus to an exile community who's lost everything? And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. It's a painful and difficult thing, the life of a prophet, but they they have a great reward in heaven. And it's a good thing because they don't have any reward on earth. But Jesus comes and he begins to come down the mountain from the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he gets there, he finds this man. There's a great crowd there and a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answers, a faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy, gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. So they come down to the mountain from the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down, and there's this scene where the disciples are unable to do something that they should be able to do. And so Jesus has to do this thing. And so he is struggling with what's going to happen next. He's just had that very conversation with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And then he comes down and he finds the disciples unable to cast this demon out of this boy. And it's got to be frustrating because it's it's looking like, have I failed? Are they not going to be able to carry on this work? And so Jesus does what was necessary. But then while they're marveling at what he's doing, he looks at his disciples and he says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. In other words, this is coming to an end quickly. You've got to get it, guys. You've got to get it in a hurry. You have to understand that I'm not going to be with you all the time. And you've got to step up in this ministry. And they didn't understand it, though. And in spite of that, in spite of just having completely failed to do this, an argument arose among them about which of them was the greatest. Um, what do you say? Jesus knows what they're talking about and how they think they're the greatest. Well, what difference does it make? I mean, that's the honest truth. You're not great at all. We just proved that, right? And now here you are arguing about who's the greatest. Well, in comparison with Jesus... It doesn't matter where you fit in the grand scheme of things. He's one, we're all two. It's the reality. And so so Jesus brings a child and says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who's great. How many times does he have to tell them that? It's amazing. And then John says, hey, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. And Jesus says, don't worry about those people. Because if they're not against you, they're for you. So just let them be, whether they're following or not. And Paul's going to have to deal with some of that as well later. He's going to have to deal with the servant girl who is speaking prophetically about who he is and all that, and he's got to rebuke that. But time is short. We gotta keep the main thing the main thing, fellas. And it's just it's it's a frustrating thing here. Jesus is dealing with so many things and he's looking at the future and wondering what is the future here with these guys. It it's he's always looking at his church that way though. I mean that's the honest truth. If you look all the way back to Genesis, you'll start seeing that. You'll start seeing the failings of the people that he's chosen to carry it on. You see the failings of Abraham when when he takes matters into his own hands and, and says, Ah, Sarah, that's a pretty good idea. I think maybe sleeping with Hagar might work. And you see it with Moses' failure. You see it with Jacob's failures. You see it, you know, just constantly through scripture that, that God will anoint somebody, choose them, raise them up, even like David who fails with Bathsheba. It's just constant, but the church perseveres because it's of God. If it were not of God, None of this would have lasted at all. And so Jesus comes and gives us his Holy Spirit so that we have more capability, at least the potential, to follow him and to stay the course and to do the things that he's given us to do. And And the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing and he's frustrated with the people that he's speaking with too. Remember, because I told you yesterday, one of the big issues here is is that they have sort of hedged their bets and gone back to the sacrificial system and all that. This is the the church to whom he's writing. And he's offering all over and over again that Jesus is superior to anything in Judaism. You know, he's not attacking Judaism. He's just raising up and lifting up Jesus in all things. It says, you know, he in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, because he died on the cross, but he didn't die completely. Completely. He was resurrected. So although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron, which is the Aaronic priesthood, but no, according to the order of Melchizedek, the one who comes and appears to Abraham after he has saved Lot the first time. (laughs) And so he, he appears to him and he gives tithes, to Melchizedek, who is a priest of the Most High God. and So he's recognized as a priest before there's a priesthood. And the writer then is so frustrated about this, we have a lot to say, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid foods for the mature for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I wonder and I worry about the church today because too many people in the church, including pastors even, are are not immersing themselves in the Word of God and not preaching the full counsel of God either. Focus on our our, our little favorite passages or we focus on um, practical things how to be a better husband, how to do that. No, we need the Word of God. We need the gospel in the church. We need more of Jesus preached in the church. We need more repentance preached in the church. We've got to get people back to the Word of God, immersed in the Word of God. I'm afraid, frankly, I'm afraid that people are not prepared to give an accounting of the hope that lives in them. They're not prepared to suffer They're not prepared to struggle because we've sold them a false bill of goods. We didn't sell them the right thing. And Jesus is trying to do the same thing with his disciples because the disciples are are fat and happy, feeling good. We're going to be soon uh, right and left in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, listen to me. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. This is all coming crashing down, fellas. And it's not going to end the way you think it's going to end. It's not going to end well compared to what you think. It's going to end perfectly. But you're going to be disappointed. And you're not prepared for what's coming. And I wonder if the church is prepared.